0: On August 21st, the continental United States will witness a total solar eclipse for the first time in nearly 40 years. And you'll have to wait another 375 years to see the next one. Science writer and Northeast Public Radio host Bob Berman has seen eight total solar eclipses. The phenomenon of totality or the moment of total obscuration of the sun during an eclipse is just one of the topics he'll cover on today's Please Explain, which is all about invisible light. He is the author of the book Zapped, From Infrared to X-Rays, The Curious History of Invisible Light, published by Little Brown. And Bob Berman is here to answer your questions about the invisible currents that exist all around us, from radio waves to microwaves and beyond. Bob, welcome. (laughs) Welcome to Please Explain. I'm sorry this is our first time actually having to say hello, um, given the interview we just did with with Bill Murray. Um, And we want to invite you to join the conversation at 212-433-9692. Do you have a question about light or the invisible currents that surround us? Give us a call. So, Bob, congratulations on the book. Thank you. I didn't realize we were surrounded by just light. Other than the, the and waves and things,
1: right? And neither did anybody until uh, the year eighteen hundred. It was it came out of left field. Nobody thought nobody thought that it was light that we can't see. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so so talk about the lights that we can't see.
1: Right. Well, it's now it started off small with uh, what was called calorific rays. Now we call them infrared. Okay. And ultraviolet, which people avoid generally that's the one with the, the worst rap because that's what burns on some beach and can cause cataracts as you get older. Um, but more and more, obviously with radio waves and x-rays and microwaves, which a lot of people are paranoid about, clearly we're being bathed, penetrated, surrounded by the invisible parts of the spectrum and it applies to the solar eclipse because that's when uh, there's a big break in all types of light.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about th- about this this uh, solar <clears throat> eclipse. What happens during uh, a total solar
1: eclipse? And you've seen eight of them? Fortunately, yes because I've been an eclipse astronomer uh, for totalities. Usually people pay a lot of money, go on tours, go to places like Libya or China or India this time it's coming to us the path of totality and i think the, the the biggest place where people get it wrong is too many people think that a partial eclipse which the whole country is going to get including new york city is almost as good as totality like around here it'll be a 75 or 80% total hmm. eclipse so people think well that's going to be 75 or 80% of the experience sure uh, why should i travel but it's nothing like that it's sort of like the difference between totality and a partial Eclipse is the difference between maybe falling in love and reading about falling in love. It, they're not even
0: They're not the same close. thing.
1: No, no. in then Total Eclipse, what's coming up on August 21st, if you travel to one of the places in the narrow ribbon or path of totality, it's uh, the stars come out in the daytime. Pink flames of nuclear fire spring like geysers from the edge of the sun. This uh, corona, which shows the sun's magnetic field, which is normally invisible, comes out. People weep. Animals go crazy. Uh, It's very, very different from a partial eclipse that we get every few years and which needs eye protection.
0: Well, that, that was, I was going to say, how do you see all these things when everything that I've that I've been taught and learned is that, you don't look at a total
1: eclipse. You do, you do. Partial well, not eclipse. With the, not,
0: well, not with your eyes. Yes, yes, you can?
1: Yes, not only can you, but you could even use binoculars. You can even magnify it. And I do, and we all do, because during totality, the light is very gentle, and it's perfectly safe even to use a telescope, and nothing will happen to you. Look at me, although I did come in here with a seeing-eye dog, didn't <laughs> no. I? Wait, but, but, there, but what about the thing of, like, po- poke a hole into a piece of paper that's, and that's look through the... partial eclipse. That's for ah, a partial eclipse, okay. and, and, and we get those, and from time to time, people... Um, tell me, yeah, I, I saw an eclipse and I'll say, Well when and where? And they'll say, Long Island, back I think in the seventies. And then see the last total eclipse we had in New York City here was in nineteen twenty five. So very few people that you run into really saw that one and can remember that one. Even then it was total north of ninety sixth street. And south of ninety street it was partial, and you needed your filters or your goggles or your eye protection.
0: So a couple of times, you couple of times, you've mentioned that the the total eclipse that's going to be visible in a narrow band in the country. Are there uh, specific places where people could go to go see this, or what states
1: will this run uh, through? Absolutely, it's first going to hit land in Oregon south of places like Portland, and then cross over Idaho, go right over Jackson. People call it Jackson Hole, but the town is actually Jackson. Uh, And then across Wyoming to uh, Casper. That's where our group, we'll have 110 people in our tour group that I'll be leading in Casper, Wyoming. And then continuing east through southern Illinois, a place called Carbondale. They're so excited about it. They've painted a yellow line right across town showing where the total center line is, even across rooftops. Huh. Yeah, in Carbondale, Illinois. And then it continues east into over Nashville, okay, Tennessee, and then over Charleston, South Carolina. So that's the nearest place to here. And it's about a 70-mile-wide ribbon. If you're there that day, August 21st, and I'm still urging people to go, because it's going to be the most amazing thing ever in your life. People think, well, okay, I'd love to see the pyramids someday or visit the Taj Mahal. But this is beyond that. As I said, people weep. It's just beyond belief what it does. And beyond the science, it does something to you. There's something that happens when the sun and the moon and your spot on Earth form a straight line in space. I think if you were blind, you could feel that it was happening. It's a very... Uh, Powerful, glorious event. Well,
0: well, what you've seen eight of these. What have you felt? What, well, just that. did you weep?
1: No, I, I didn't weep because I don't. You know, I'm a guy. I don't weep.
0: <laughs> I know guys who <laughs> weep. Come on, but but how 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 have those eclipses affected you? Yeah,
1: well, I've seen a lot of people around me do that, and everybody goes. Holy so and so, and oh my god and and uh, because no one's expecting it it's it's more powerful it's it's more beautiful than any photograph because the eye can see this big range of brightness that uh, pictures don't bring out we We see those pink flames in the in the first part of the eclipse near the part nearest the sun on the moon, and then the filaments, these delicate lines of the sun's magnetic field. And the star, brighter stars, come out in the daytime. People who don't know think it's just about darkness. Jonathan, they think, well, darkness at noon—that's that's that's the whole key. But darkness is not, you know, special. Just don't pay your electric bill, or go into a (laughs) closet. You don't, you you don't have have to travel around the country to see uh, to see darkness. So the thing here, and it's not even very dark. A total eclipse is only about as dark as a full moon night. So the, 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 the attraction is not the level of brightness, it's the thing that's happening in the sky when you're seeing the moon covering the sun and moving and those flames coming out of the edge of the sun and nature responding to it, it's like nothing else. So if you possibly can, if you've got friends or relatives in, in uh, Charleston, in South Carolina, in Nashville, if you can go out west to see it, there's still time. Still time.
0: So let's talk, let's talk about about light. Um, since it it is all around us, whether we can can see it or not. But why do we perceive
1: the sun's light as white? The eye's architecture is such that when we get an equal amount of red, green, and blue light, that's the key, you need those three colors, and then you'll see it as white. So at this moment, when you look around you, anything you see is white, what that's telling you is that those three colors coming from the light bulbs in your room or coming f- through the window from the sunlight is giving you red, green, and blue. Those are the primary colors of light. Very different from the primary colors of paint or pigment. Artists know that you can't get white from using red, green, and blue paint mixed together. You'll get a muddy, brownish black yeah. color. It's a, but for light, those are the, those are the, the colors. So any time in the universe that we get those three colors, we'll see it as white.
0: Um. Why do, I've always wondered this because highway signs, wherever you go, they're green. What's the, what's the magic
1: of green? Well, the thing is, the eye is most sensitive to the green part of the solar spectrum. And proof of that is that when the colors fade at twilight and we start losing the colors, because in dim light we don't see colors. We just see everything as grays, different shades of gray. But the last color to lose is green. So we'll still see a lawn as being green. We'll still see grass as being green when roses have become gray, and violets have become gray, and that those colored socks you're wearing and you threw over over, uh, on the floor, those red socks have become gray when you turn off your room lights at night. But green stays the longest. So because of our eyes being sensitive to that, in the 50s, when the Eisenhower Interstate Highway uh, system was developed, it was decided to make all the road signs green. And that's also why more and more municipalities are painting their fire engines green. When I was a kid, fire engines were always red. Red. But and now they, they're becoming more and more green because that's what we see. That's the color we see in, in dim light.
0: Is it a specific shade of green? Like uh, like the green of the microphone buffer in front of you? Or that, uh, lime green? And that starches? depends on
1: the level of, of brightness. It starts off as yellow green. That's our peak sensitivity. But in dim light that shifts over to bluish green. That's called the perkinia shift. I'll bet one person in in a thousand maybe knows that. Jan was the was the guy who first suggested that fingerprints might be used for crime fighting. And he also picked up on the fact that in dim light, our vision shifts over to the blue-green. So that becomes the most uh, powerful. That's why in moonlight, you go out to the country, visit those friends in the country in full moonlight, the scene around you looks bluish-green. Yeah. And artists have always known this, and cinematographers and photographers, when they want to capture a moonlit scene, they make everything dimmer, but they also make it bluish-green. The colors are still out there, the reds and yellows and oranges, but we don't see them. We only see the greens and the blues in the scene. And so it seems strange that a white moon would make our surroundings bluish-green, but it does.
0: So there are two, two types of vision that I have to ask you about, and I'm, I'm going to totally butcher them. Um, scotopic vision yep. and photo- photopic yes, photopic vision. Yes.
1: What, what, are, <laughs> what are they? The, our best vision is photopic vision, and it operates when there's plenty of light. And that's three times sharper than our high-def televisions. It's a really nice, excellent way to, to see things. And it's, um, it's produced by the six million cone-shaped cells in our retinas, uses those red, blue, and green sensors, and gives us that really excellent vision, photopic vision. But when light fades, we slowly, our eyes shift over to a different kind of film. Film was like something that used to be used in photography. It came in these rolls. <laughs> these these rolls things. Things. Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. let light hit them either. Yeah, right. And you had to put them in and send them out for a while. Okay, so I switched to a different kind of film. <laughs> and that film was called Scotopic Vision. And it uses these rod-shaped cells. And it's really a crummy vision. But I shouldn't complain about it because it lets us see things in dim light. But there's five flaws with it. One, it's black and white vision, it's gray. You don't see any colors. Uh, When when the lights are dimmer, like if you walk down a dark street, everything's a shade of gray. Two, you can't see reds even as a gray. Deep reds just disappear. Three, there's a big round hole where you see nothing straight ahead. Twice the size of the moon. Big, empty blind spot in uh, scotopic vision. And next, and here's the thing that people know the least, it's blurry, like um, 2200 vision which is the limit of being legally blind. So in dim light, when you turn off your lights in the bedroom and maybe you only have a nightlight on, the floor, which maybe you, if it was a wood floor, you saw every little grain in the wood or if you had a carpet on the floor and you saw every little bit of fiber in the carpet, all you see is blur now on the floor So, because your vision has gone from 20-20, perhaps, if you have good vision, to 2,200 in dim light. So scotopic vision has this blurry thing. And that's why people who buy backyard telescopes always say, hey, when I, whenever I'm looking at a kind of a dim object like a galaxy or a nebula, I don't see the detail like those photographs in magazines show. And I don't see colors. It just looks blurry and gray. And, and people think it's their telescope It was because it was a, a cheap telescope. No, it's their eyes. It's their eyes. It's their eyes. They're, they've been reduced to 2,200 vision. 20? 200 in low light through the telescope. And that's why no human being has ever seen detail in a galaxy or color in a galaxy through any telescope, no matter how expensive, because your eyesight changes to this blurry scotopic vision. I have to ask you about
0: two forms of light in the little time that we have. I didn't realize that radio waves are light.
1: Yes, because it seems like it has to do with sound. Right we, here we are. Here we are in a radio station. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, we're we're on FM, but um, you know, our, and and AM.
1: Um, but so radio waves are, are, are light. Keep talking. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, exactly. They're a form of light and they're just uh, carrying signals, which then thanks to the microphone, thanks to the magnets and the speakers make the uh, speaker vibrate. And then we hear it as sound. But the signal is being carried by a form of light. Yes.
0: And then the, the other form of light uh, and radio waves are the weakest form of light and not, and not harmful. But UV light. Um, is very harmful.
1: That's the, the, the bad one, but you know, it's gotten a little bit of more bad press than it deserves because since it can cause skin cancer, uh, a lot of doctors, a lot of people now are using sunscreen, they're wearing hats, they're staying indoors, they're avoiding the sun to avoid the UV. But it turns out that although a serious sunburn, especially in your youth, can set the stage for melanoma later in life, and it's true that 8,000 people a year die of melanoma. Nonetheless, UV generates in our bodies causes the production of vitamin D, which is one of the strongest anti-cancer things you can have circulating in Mm. your body. It was found just a few months ago. A study showed that it is a preventative for pancreatic cancer, too, as well as other kinds of cancer. So the bottom line, according to the Vitamin D Council that I interviewed when I was writing... Uh, zapped, almost forgot the name of the book uh, uh, the, the doctors there like John Cannell say here's what you should do don't hide from the sun, don't put lotion on all the times, but all of us should get as much sun as we can without burning. That's the key. Get as much sunlight as you can without burning because twenty minutes in strong sun gives you as much vitamin D as two hundred glasses of milk so the so nature and our bodies want to produce vitamin D. It must be good for us, and you won't get it if you're avoiding the sun too much. Wow. Bob Bob Berman, thank you for that. 20 minutes in the sun is, <laughs> yes. is all you need
0: to get yes. the vitamin D that you need. Bob Berman, author of Zapped from Infrared to X-rays, The Curious History of Invisible Light. Thank you very much for coming thank in.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure. <laughs>